we're recording. Welcome everybody to the pilot episode, or episode one it might be, or we don't know. We might Once we've got a guest, we might call it episode one, of The Tree on the Wing. Now, this is a podcast that we've devised. Well, really it's come out of the need or the want by the football club to start doing something about our 100th anniversary coming up. Tim Goddard spoke to me and a couple of other people, one of whom was my mate Russell Highland, a.k.a. Nipper. Uh, and Nip is here with me at the moment. So, g'day, Nip. How are you going? Oh, very well, thank you, Teddy. We we're really just going to have a chat and talk about what the tree on the wing is going to mean, what we hope for it to achieve, how we hope to put it together, and what we think might happen over the next few years, building up towards the 100th anniversary in 2022. Well, I suppose we better tell our own stories a little bit, Nip, here. So, I'll let you go first. This is a question we're going to ask our guests. And it is, tell us about how you ended up at the Bowen Heads Football Club and pretty much why. Yeah, that's a really good question because I have got absolutely no idea why I ended up at the Bowen Heads Football Club. Probably lived, I don't know, maybe a kilometre from the ground. Yeah. If that. Yep. It's a long walk for a seven-year-old though. Yeah, Across a busy road. Yeah. Well. Well, yeah, relatively was, busy. Wasn't that busy during winter in those days, but my older brother David was playing football at Bowenheads in I don't know probably the under 16s at that stage when I started. So I followed in his footsteps, and he would have followed in my father's footsteps who played football at Bowenheads from I think Dad was in the very first junior team in 1947, played in the 57 Premiership, was around the club for a long time. And, followed us and supported us and that sort of thing. So I suppose there was there was only one club in town and uh, that was the club I played for. So that's probably how we ended up down there. So one of the down. things we're trying to do with the, the Tree on the Wing is to is to tie the football club into the town. We've both been members of the footy club for a very long time. We see how it's affected our lives and how it's been part of our lives and people like similar to us, of a similar vintage to us, but you're pretty much Bowenheads royalty. Mm. I mean, from the point of view of an old Bowenheads family, there's probably not many older. Yeah, you're probably um, right. Probably only the Chalices. They're related to us. Which you married into anyway. Yeah. So maybe just a very brief description. I can tell you the date. The first time that one of your relatives arrived on any shore that looked anything like Bowen Heads was the 18th of June in 1853. That's right. Ewing Bly was shipwrecked on the Earl of Charlemont and came up over the beach. And um, he, uh, along with all the other survivors from the shipwreck, made their way into Geelong and um, decided it was a lovely place and he'd like to settle there. So he spent a bit of time in Geelong and then came back down and camped on the shores of Lake Connawarri in the Barwon River, and he married one of the local farmer's daughters. So he wasn't the first in our bloodline to be here because there was already someone here, his, his wife. Now, you isn't know, there a story there about how he even met her? Well, they needed something to eat on the, uh, uh, the, the survivors of the shipwreck, and he was carrying a gun, um, the same gun which is actually on display down at the lobster pipe Yes, now. I've seen that. He had, uh, he had well, I believe there was three things he had with him. A gun, a little pouch with some money in it, and a recipe for gin. But that's another story. Yes. Anyway, 
he came over to land and he, um, with his gun, he shot a bullock in a paddock and they cooked it up and they, um, everybody had a feed. And uh, Ewing, Ewing Bly, from the photos I've seen of him, had a massive big beard. So whether or not he had it at this stage when he came out to Australia or not, but um, he uh, would have, you know, had the beef and would have wouldn't have been many utensils around or anything like that. So it would have been pulled beef off the uh, off the bone. And with his big beard, he's probably Barnett's first hipster back in eighteen fifty three. It probably was. Anyway, as I said, he went on to Geelong and he came back and he settled. But as a hipster, Russell, he's just he's just shot a bullock. Yeah, not not something that, it, that the the your standard vegan does. You're probably right though, but he he liked the area as I said, and he um he started courting the farmer's daughter and ended up marrying her. And um, the farmer was actually the farmer that owned the the bull that he shot. So not only did he take take the prize bullock off the farmer, he also took the eldest daughter. Obviously, a very fruitful marriage. They had uh, eleven children. And uh, from those 11 children, he had 57 grandchildren. So uh, obviously there's a fair few relations around the area and spread out everywhere from from um, mine. Some of them sort of, uh, I suppose, there wasn't a lot of people around. There wasn't a lot of choice. So cousins married cousins in some stages. But um, again, that's another So obviously story. this is a long time before even the town existed. Yep. Certainly a long time before the footy club existed. So your family history... The first first family member to play for the footy club. Well, my grandmother was a Jennings. May Jennings was her name, and they originally came from Drysdale. And and about I reckon it was about nineteen nineteen. It was around the end of the war. Moved from Drysdale to Bowen Heads, um, and they had a chook farm, basically on the corner of Car Street and Tate's Road, down in that corner around there. There's a chook farm there, but. They moved from Drysdale, they um, brought some cattle and what have you and swum them across the river and floated the chooks across the river and set up camp there. And one of Granny's brothers, her elder brother, was a bloke by the name of Alfred Ronald Jennings. And he went by the name of Jack, Jack Jennings. And um, Jack was instrumental in helping to set up the footy club in 1922. He's only a young fella. And um, within the first few years of the club, Jack was um, uh, the president of the club and, and a player. But from what he's, what I've heard, he, uh, he wasn't much of a player. But anyway, Jack, Jack left Barnett's Football Club, moved into Geelong. Amongst other things, he was a councillor and a publican and he had a trucking business. But he also became a very, very long-serving president of the Geelong Football Club. And a life member of the Geelong Football Club, a life member of the VFL. I think he was vice president of the VFL. So, massive figure in in top level football. There was a stand at the footy club at the Cadinia Park named after. Yeah, yeah, the AR Jack Jennings stand. He uh, introduced the Queen to the people when they when she came to watch a Geelong game at VFL Park once. So, from a little bloke who you know started off at the Barnheads Footy Club, he really went to the the top of the tree, hmm. if you like, and. Um, yeah, so that would have been the first relative of mine, I imagine. And, you know, my grandfather was born and, you know, lived in Bowen Heads, so one of the Blyes, and they were always around. His his brother, Tippy, was a president of the club for a long time, and, uh, you know, there's always been those there. And as I said earlier, Dad himself started playing in 1947, which is, you know, what's that, 
25 years into the club being around. Yeah. yeah. And Stu is obviously a reasonable player. So he tells me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I reckon Stewie's on our hit list. Yep. And I reckon we, uh, I reckon we need to have a conversation with Stewie. But um, we'll talk about that a bit later. So fast forward quite a few years, and we've got a young Russell Highland. Tell us about your first game. 1976. I was nine years old, and uh, it was at Brinter Reserve in Coppards Road, Newcomb. It was also the very first game of the Newcomb Football Club. I can't remember the score, but without a shadow of a doubt, we got absolutely smashed. It was a lot to not many. Yeah, but to the major thing I remember from the game was in those days you had to have two pairs of shorts. Black shorts for the home game and white shorts for the away game. And I didn't have any white shorts. So as a nine-year-old, I had to borrow my 16-year-old brother's white shorts. And they were too big. So... I held them up. Because he had a big ass, your brother. Yeah. I, I held the shorts up with one hand for the first half of the game and ran around. And I don't think I got a touch because if I did, my shorts would have fallen down or I would have had to pull in a one-hander and I'll, that would have stuck in the memory. That came a bit later, didn't it? But at half-time, the team manager of the senior team wandered into the rooms and he said... I noticed you're holding onto your shorts. What's the problem, young fella? And I said, oh, they keep falling down. They're too big for me. And he said, here, I'll find you a safety pin. And he did. And he found me a big safety pin. And he safety pinned them up and they were stuck. And then from then, I think I got a kick and picked the ball up. And uh, and I was very, very, very thankful to the great Cyril Watson, who uh, who was a long-serving team manager. Who has a nine-year-old, I'm tipping your towel over. Yes, probably just about close to it, but um, yeah. That, Actually, I'm that just was... going to take you back to the to yeah. there and correct you on something. You said that Cyril wandered into the rooms. Hmm. I was there that day. Yes, there weren't any rooms. There wasn't any rooms either. It was a tent. It was an old, old. I don't know whether it was an army tent or a circus yeah, tent. It was a big old circus tent, I reckon. I did remember, and as a nine year old, I don't think, and I know. My son, when he played under nines, he didn't have a shower after the game. Absolutely not. And I don't think I had a shower that after the game because all it was was a hose coming over a wall, which was a canvas wall, and that was it. That was the shower. I'm pretty sure that I didn't have a shower after footy until I played senior footy. Oh, no, I, I, I did shower there for a while. But, um, yeah, no, not like it is now. A lot of the kids nowadays don't even get to use the rooms, which is a shame. Yeah, but, that is uh, true. But uh, that was, yeah, it was very memorable. I remember a lot of my junior football didn't win many games. We didn't score very often, but we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun, made a lot of friendships and some very lasting friendships too. Yep. Yeah. And and so the times, those those early times as a young fella... And being around the footy club, the show's got a particular name, and we're gonna we'll we'll discuss that shortly. But in those early days, you already mentioned Cyril Watson. Some of the memorable people, the your family's town royalty, but not necessarily footy club royalty. But some of these people, the ma- magnificent people who whose shoulders the footy club stands on still. It's funny. I, I remember real vaguely before I even played footy, and I must have been a five or six year old. And you'd end up down the footy club on a Saturday afternoon. And you didn't necessarily watch the footy. You might have had a kick. 
probably go up the bluff and climb through the caves, play in the trees, in the two trees, whatever you did. But on my arrival back at home, if Dad hadn't been at the footy himself, and I wouldn't know whether he was or he wasn't, he would say to me, who played well? And without a shadow of doubt, I could say, Jono and Watto. And Chooka kicked some goals. And I would never be wrong. I'd never have to watch the footy, but I'd never be wrong because Dennis Johnson and Gordon Watson and Chooky Peace were the three standouts in my eyes as, you know, in the, in the early 70s and that sort of thing. And probably more so when I got the opportunity to play senior football, I played with all three of them and just three of the most amazing footballers that I ever played with, not so much for their own ability, but what they passed on to me and some of the things they taught me was amazing, absolutely amazing. And and also off the field, the, the, the great characters that, they, that we had off the field in those times. Yeah. There what, was a... Who was your first coach? Do you remember who your first coach was? <sighs> oh, I honestly don't remember. I reckon, first... it, I reckon it was the great Ron Lorne. No, I reckon he coached you under 16s. I don't, you might be right though. You might be right. Might might have been Boomer Lawn. I remember Shane Mitchell coached me a lot. Yeah, he coached me a lot. I remember Noel Egan did it. I reckon Shane Mitchell coached junior footy when he was a junior footballer. He could possibly. I did that. Yeah, I coached the under 18s Playing coach one game for the under 18s when. Oh yeah, yeah. Whoever okay. the coach was. Also, well, there's get no him out precedent. Of you know that the under 19s had a playing coach last year yeah. for a yeah. short time. Yeah, well, I think I reckon I reckon Fish was coaching us, and he didn't turn up. Oh, okay. we don't know where he was. Oh, okay. So I took the reins. And we'll have to ask him when we get him on the show. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, so, f- so fast forward to, to through your junior footy, and take us to your senior footy. Yeah, and so let's let's have a chat about that. Right, so well, senior footy. I played my first. Reserves game picked in the reserves and and it wasn't because they were short or anything like that. I've been training with the reserves as I was playing under 18s and I think I was 15 years old at the time and played in the reserve team and um, I remember before the game my brother gave me the wise words of wisdom and he said just do what you normally do in under 18s, get the ball and give it out. And I said, okay. And he said, Dottie will be on the fringe all the time. Just look for him. And I got a few touches and I shot out a few ambles. I reckon they all went to Dottie running down the wing, which Phil loved to do. But um, And then the following year, I made my senior debut as a 16-year-old. Um, and Johnny Dunn was the coach then. And the first game we played was against Torquay. And I remember vividly, the ball was about to be bounced in the forward pocket at the pub end of the ground in that corner. And Kenny Mack was about to do the ruck work and Dennis Johnson were there, like famous names. Like I idolised them as kids and they were larger than life. And I saw Jono go and say something to Macca. And then Jono came back to me and he said, just run along the boundary line towards the goals. And I thought, what good's that? And I thought, well, Jono knows. So there's me running along the boundary. I felt like a boundary umpire. You know, the umpire bounced the ball and 
Kenny Max got in, used his muscle, arm-to-arm -arm combat, drops it just behind his left shoulder. John O'Gram grabs it, handballs it, what looks like it's going to go out of bounds. And then all of a sudden there's this skinny, snotty-nosed little kid running along the boundary line, open, no one near him. Handball hits him on the chest. And I take four or five steps and I'm like, I'm within goal-kicking distance here. And I must admit, I put it on my left foot and just steered it straight through the middle for a goal. One kick, one goal? Yep. First kick in Oh, the... I don't know. It wasn't my first kick. It wasn't oh, right my first on. kick, but it was my first goal. And uh, everyone jumped all over me. You know, everyone's like, how good's that? John Owen Macker just ran back to the centre. And I yep. thought, yep. I had no idea what was going on, you know. And they they just set it up and just... and I. And it really made me feel part of the team and feel feel important in that. The next week, we played Drysdale at home, and I think we got smashed. And Tommy Cheesley came into the club rooms after the game. Good grief. Tom, Tom, Tommy Cheesley is a very famous man in those days. And I think he lived till about 92. He lived in a caravan down the caravan park, and he was the caretaker of the football club, old Tom. And I do remember the second game. He, he came in <laughs> after the game in the change rooms, and he walked straight up to me, and the Bent, crooked old finger, he poked me in the chest and he said, that is the worst game of senior football I've ever seen you play. I said, Tommy, it's only my second game of football. He said, exactly, I wasn't there last week. <laughs> so I don't know whether that was a compliment. Was statistically accurate. But I don't know whether it was a compliment or bad. Because yeah, could have been worse, could have been He's a great best. man, Tommy. Well, he wasn't a great man, he was a great character. The other story I love about Tommy is that, uh, you know, that Norfolk Island is a penal colony. Yes. And we sent people there who were the worst of the worst. People that couldn't even live within the penal system in New South Wales. And many, many years later, Tommy's daughter lived on Norfolk Island and he went there to visit and they sent him back. Yes. yes. <laughs> he behaved himself so poorly that they threw him off Norfolk Island. My father always thought that was hilarious. It was. He was a character old Tom. So from... From a young fella playing his first game and kicking a goal with one of his first kicks in footy, um, yep. we didn't have very good teams in those days. We had a lot of fun, but you were one of the more prominent fellas in that group. And then let's just say you had a little short falling out with one of the coaches. Yeah, I did. We had a, um, a bloke by the name of Mark Humphreys. He's a fantastic bloke. and He's a good guy, Mark. He's a ripper bloke. And he's, he's come down from St Albans and... Um, I don't know, it's probably something about Bowenheads people that don't like outsiders, and it's probably ingrained into us. And I sort of, um, oh, well, I accepted him as a coach, that was fine, but we had to play a crisis meeting one Sunday morning. I, I don't understand why it was a crisis meeting. We hadn't won a game for the first three. I don't think we won one for the whole season the year before, so it wasn't a crisis, it was just the norm for us. Anyway, um, Stiffer called this meeting and he said, you know, we've all got to get on the same page. We've all got to do this and do that. We don't want any individuals. And I said, why don't you want any individuals? He said, well, you know, they're not going to toe the line. And I said, you need individuals. If you're all the same, you're just a pack mentality, sheep following along. You need individuals to change things up and do sort of things. And he said, well, if you think you're an individual and you're going to be an individual, we don't need you in this club. And I said, all right, and I stood up and walked out. And, you know, probably four minutes later I was at home and Dad said to me, uh, what, are you, uh, what are you doing back? I thought you had a meeting at the footy club. And I said, yeah. And I walked out on him, not playing there anymore. He said, oh, it's no good. What are you going to do, go and play at Ocean Grove? And I said, don't be stupid. 
And he said, oh, good, I'm glad of that. I said, oh, if I can't play there, I won't play anywhere. So I didn't. Um, I didn't go to training Tuesday night, and Thursday night I was down the street at Phil's Milk Bar, now Starfish, playing the pinballs, and Coach in his gear came in and he said, everybody else has wanted to, um, wants you to play. I don't rate you, but everybody else wants you to play and reckon you can play, so I um, want to see. And somehow or another, and it was a pretty silly thing at the time, that he laid down a challenge that he'd get more kicks than me in the next game, which was pretty silly, but I took up the challenge. Maybe he just said that to convince me to play. I don't know. Maybe someone else said it. Anyway, so I uh, took him up the challenge and went down and played in the first on Saturday, and I think I got 12 kicks in the first quarter, and then... Had a bit of a clash and uh, somebody, somebody's knee ended up in the middle of my chest. A difficulty breathing. And I actually tore a cartilage that links your rib cage up to your sternum. So trouble was, so I was off for the rest of the game and missed probably six weeks after that with an injury. But uh, I do believe those 12 kicks I got in the first quarter still was more than what he got for the game. So uh, I don't think Mark lasted the season. Probably... Didn't know that. No, I think no. Eric. I think Eric Wilson because he he got. I think not sure if he got Eric Wilson at a club, but certainly Eric Wilson was the the assistant coach at yeah, the time. Yeah, was too. I remember Neville Crease, who was the president at the time, coming down on a Tuesday night after a particularly bad loss and informing us that that Mark was no longer going to be playing at the club. One good story about Mark was that uh, the, the great Jeff Nicholson used to wear number one and had long blonde hair. And I remember we played Ocean Grove and Ocean Grove obviously had worded a few of their blokes up that we had this bloke, Jeff Nicholson, who was a bit fiery. But could play. Oh, could he play? Oh. So Jeff's also somebody we hope to have on the show at some oh. point in the future. <laughs> I remember that um, at, at quarter time, Mark coming up to me saying, what have I done to these blokes? They hate me. Uh, uh. And I said, mate, you've got long blonde hair and you're wearing number one. Yeah, you uh, are you are going to be a target because they think you're Jeff Nicholson. Yeah. And he said, how long is that going to last? And I said, well, they've seen you for your first quarter. I think they know you're not Jeff Nicholson. <laughs> There's a difficult subject that we have to talk about. Right. And that difficult subject is probably the last game of football you ever played. Yep. Certainly in the last season of football that you ever played. Mm. And it's... The 1993 Premiership season. Now, there's no way you're not a member of the senior football team that wins that Premiership. So just tell us how it comes about that you weren't a member of that team. Well, it probably goes back. 92, start of the season, I coached the Barnage Cricket Club at the time, captain coach. And I was putting all my time and effort into cricket. And um, I hadn't been to pre-season training. And two funny things happened. The first one was Mick Turner and Rick Barham came down to Cricket Club, which in itself was strange, and got out of their car on the sidelines and called me across. And I thought, a couple of blokes from the footy club calling the cricket coach across. Something must be going on. So I went over. So what's going on, guys? We want to know whether you'd be happy to captain the senior team this year. And, of course, we'll, we'll pay you substantial amount of money. And I said, money doesn't mean anything to me at Bowen Hands. It's the only club I'll play at. But as far as captaining the team goes, I don't honestly know whether I'm going to be playing at this stage. Um, I had a few things on the plate. Coaching cricket was one of them. And I think I was in the process of moving to Melbourne. I said, oh, I don't think I'll be playing. So... I turned down the captaincy, Barlin Heads, and um, that was that. And uh, Johnny Maguire got appointed captain that year, the Goose. And halfway through the year, I was living in Melbourne, and I did come back and 
catch up with a few of the boys, Matty Wilder and Tim Armstrong and a few of the boys, and we're all having a drink, and they'd just lost. It was a Saturday night, and they'd lost that day. I think it was against Port Arlington, and I said to them, problem is you're lost because you haven't got meat. This is after a few beers. So they said, well, why don't you come back and play? Anyway, came down to training that week and I put on a few kilos and uh, I trained and I played in the seconds. And while I was in Melbourne, I trained and trained and trained and ran and ran and ran. Came back halfway through the season. I was lucky enough to line up at full forward under yourself as coach, 92, first game. And then played, I think, four games in the reserves and then went back into the senior. Played in the preliminary final in the centre that we lost to... Drystar got smashed by Drystar. And I got a speeding ticket on the way back to Melbourne that night. Really? And the copper that pulled me over said, oh, my son was one of the central umpires. I said, just shut up and write the ticket, Chan. It it wasn't a good day, that one. But so that was that. that. And then the next season, I did the pre-season and, you know, and I I played and I was... um, So now we're in 93. 93, yeah. yeah. And... We, God, we had a strong team. We had a really strong team. There was a real buzz, wasn't there? Yeah. Right from, from, I reckon, yeah. from the very first training night and probably the the buzz got, it, it became a roar, I reckon, three weeks before the first senior game. Yeah. When there was an announcement made on K-Rock that a bloke named Jeffrey Miles had retired from AFL football. Yeah, yeah. That and was massive. That was, that, I reckon that announcement was on Monday morning and on Tuesday night he was at training at Bowen Heads. Yeah. No, it was great. And um, I mean, Joffa could tell a story or two about how all that happened, but yeah, uh, it was fantastic having blokes, you know, blokes like him, Peter White, Ant Callum, you know, running around Caldos. the forward line, the Caldos, you, you just named the whole team, basically. Yeah. And I remember one game he was talking, I started on the bench, and, you know, in the interchange, so you're on and off, on and off. I wasn't on and off and on and off. I sat on the bench for the whole first half. And at halftime, as we're walking up the um, race, he goes, said, get warmed right up. You're going to start in the centre after halftime. And um, I said, oh, right, fantastic. So ran out in the ground, lined up in the centre. And remember, I think it might have been Steve Rossman turned around and he said, what are you doing out here? I said, what do you mean? He said, where have you been? I said, I've been on the bench for the first half. He said, oh, God. He said, not only are you toweling us up, but this brought fresh legs on at half time. <laughs> oh no! And we we ended up smashed them that day. Absolutely smashed them. And that was fantastic. And then towards towards well, probably just after mid midway through the season, uh, I can't remember if it was Higo or Mick Turner or one of them said, oh, "Look, we're going to drop you back to the seconds just to get you more game time because you know so trying to fit all the players into one, you know." And I'm, yeah, that's fine, you know, I want to contribute and that sort of thing. So I went back to seconds in Station Grove and opening bounce of the game and I started on the half-forward flank and I ran into the centre and the ball came out, never forget this, tucked it under my arm and I was about to collide with a bloke and I, and I sort of hit him, ball under my arm, went up and over him and as I came down I put my arm out to break my fall, my hand out, and landed on my hand, went down, ball bounced out, went away and I went... That hurt. Um, got through the first quarter. Went up to the great Dougie Shears at quarter time. And I said, oh, Dougie, you've hurt me wrist. Can you just tape it up? And as he grabbed it, it really hurt. And I went, oh, and I pulled away and I went, shit. He said, no, nah, you got to get that checked out. And I said, no, nah, no, I'll be right. Just tape it up tight as you can. So he taped it up and he said, uh, <clears throat> off you go. So I went out. One of the first bits of play, balls come out in the wing. I've run across. Picked it up in my left hand scooped it across, went to balance it with my right hand, and the ball just kept going. 
there was no strength in my right hand. It just, there was nothing there. And I went, I'm in a bit of trouble here. So I went off and Dougie had a look at it and he said, it's broken. Are you sure? He said, I know it was broken from the time I taped it up 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So I was off the ground. So, yeah, so off to hospital and get it plastered up and all that sort of thing. And in plaster for four weeks, get the plaster off. And then uh, had he had plaster for another two weeks. So missed all the finals. Previous year, 92, I played in two finals. First two finals I'd ever played in for the Barnheads Football Club, yes. ever. Second semi-final at Torquay against Port Arlington that we lost in the rain. And preliminary final at Torquay against Drysdale that we got smashed. So I played in two finals with Barnheads, lost both of them. Um, I'll get the plaster taken off on the Thursday night before the grand final. Yep. Um, so I'm up for selection. I'm obviously not... You had been training though, hadn't yeah, you? Yeah, I've been mm. running. I was fit. I've yep. been doing as much as I can. Yep. Uh, and even with the plaster on, I've been keeping strength in my arm. Yeah, had a fitness test. I reckon it, I remember it was Friday night. We had a training run or Saturday night. But I remember having a fitness test. And Eric Wilson had to have a fitness test as well. The fitness test comprised of Mick Turner kicking the ball out in the middle of the ground and me and Ecker chasing it. And Ecker, Ecker, I can't remember what injury he was carrying. I reckon he had a groin. Yeah. Or a calf, something like that. Yeah, and he said, and he, as I'm chase, as we're chasing the ball, I'm, he's chasing me, I'm, I'm hitting the, uh, heading him off, and he's saying to me, don't embarrass me. I have to play on Saturday. And I said, that's fine, mate. I'll get the ball and I'll turn to the left. And I'd get the ball and I'd turn to the left. And he'd follow me. So he was just wasn't far off. And uh, so it was enough to be picked. It was enough to be picked in the grand final team. And did play in the grand final team. And, yeah, and won it, obviously, as history shows. But never played in a winning finals team for Barnheads other than a grand final. Yep. So everybody else pretty much would have because you got to get there. We had to get there, yep. But my two finals didn't get me there one year. Yep. And the year before, the year after, I didn't play in the lead-up game. So, yes. um, And that was the last game of football I ever played, 25 years ago. Yes. For all those years, for all the time spent at Barnheads, that day, does that have any special... It's got to have a special meaning to you, well, that premiership. <coughs> I, Albeit, I, I remember a lot of blokes went off and got tattoos. And I remember your comment on the night uh, in the me. pub. Yeah. And people said, can't Nick, we're all going in to get a tattoo on our ankle. And you said, why would I go in and get a tattoo on my ankle when I just won a seconds premiership? Yeah. So it, it obviously wasn't the wasn't the thing you were after, but where does it sit? It's great. It's great to be a part of the club at that era, which was which was obvious when we had a 25-year reunion this year. Um, but as I said earlier, my first game of reserves football when I was 15, I honestly don't think I played reserves football again until 92 when I came back. So I probably only played six, seven games of seconds football in my life. Yep. So it was alien to me. Yep. You know, I, I, I played in the first, and that's, that's all it was. Mm. And that's what I expected, and that's what I... You know, aimed to do. Having said that, as much as the blokes in the senior team, fantastic blokes. You know, you know Matt Wald has been one of my best mates all my life, um, and you know a lot of the others are, are good friends. You know, good mates. You love to catch up with them. Timmy Mackers, you know, your Jeff Taylors and um, your Greggy Caldos, your Paul Kellys, all those, all those guys. Great company, all of them. Yeah, exactly. 
the reserves premiership team that I played in included, I reckon, 10 or 12 blokes that I'd played junior footy with. And they were, you know, as we mentioned, our junior footy, we, I played 195 games of junior football at Barnhams. I played in six winning teams. It's an indictment, isn't it? I'm, yeah. And you can see why we struggled so much yeah. in our senior years. Yeah. The great thing I always remember about that reserves premiership was that for the five or six years previous to that, that had been the senior team. Yeah, well, there was you know myself and you and your brother Mark, Phil Walter. Um, Eric Wilson. Eric Wilson, you know, club captain coach yep. and all that sort of thing. Dave Gubbins. But they were blokes that, you know, you grew up with. And I mean, Phil Walters and I were really good mates and we played in a premiership team together, which was fantastic. And Stevie Hula, I went to school with him. And a couple of other blokes that played in the seconds team I went to school with too. And it was just for so long, I played under 18 football, junior football with your brother Cat. He was a fantastic ruckman and I used to love roving to him. I love playing in premiership him. And yourself, it was a little bit more special that we'd sort of all been through it. And there was light at the end of the tunnel. That's that's the, the great thing. But, you know, you always want to do your best and you always want to excel at your best. So, My memory of that game, and, and we occasionally do get the tape out. If you watch the tape of that game, it's typical finals footy, but also seconds footy. We played Ocean Grove in the second semi-final a couple of weeks before that game. Probably the best game I've ever played in. The highest standard game I've ever played in, where we had a chance. In a seconds game, 23 goals to 22. Such a high standard game that was reported in the Geelong Advertiser, and they very rarely did that in those days, and commented on at the highest standard that it was played at. We unfortunately lost it, but only by six points. So what was the um, difference in that loss and the grand final? Who came in the team? A couple of blokes came in and you came in. But I think, and Zoran Vidovic, who kicked five goals in the grand final. He did. I think the game, a typical final, but a typical seconds final, um, I think it ended up being 13 goals to 12 or yeah. 13 goals to 11, it might have been. It was only, we only won by two points. But if you watch the video, there's a lot of packs. Yeah. And yeah. when the pa- and when the pack's clear, the bloke who hands the football to the umpire was you. I, rem- I remember Drysdale had an electronic scoreboard, and the and the clock on it, clock on it that counted down, and it counted down. So you knew exactly how much no time was left. on in seconds footy. The ball's in dispute. I'm laying on it, and I'm just going to lay on it. I'm going to waste as much time as I can, you know. And the umpire can say, "Give us the ball." Yeah, in my good time, I'll give you the ball. I remember at one stage I laid on it. And I said, oh, my knee, my knee, my knee. The umpire said, I don't care about your knee. Give me the ball. If you don't give me the ball, I'm going to pay a free kick against you. So I jumped up, gave him the ball. And I did that quite a few times, just trying to waste time and that sort of thing. And I do remember, the umpire bounced it. And I reckon Cat got the tap out and went straight to Richie Wooden. Woody, Woody wasn't the best kick. Anyway, I was right next to him. I said, Woody, just hit the boundary. Go for the boundary. Waste some time. And he absolutely flushed it. He nailed it. It was one of the best kicks he's ever done. He's lost straight out on the full. And free kick to them. 15-metre penalty because Paul Williamson couldn't hear the umpire saying, come back one metre, come back one metre, because he was in front of the crowd. Bloke Franken. Dean. Dean Franken. He had all the glory. He's about 20 metres out, almost directly in front. All he needs to do is kick a goal, and he's he's playing a premiership team. We're jumping up and down on the line. He's 25 metres out. He didn't even make the distance. No, he didn't. And what what did my brother say about him? Yeah, after the game. I don't, I don't reckon you... 
I don't reckon David was there. Yeah, I remember he but, was there. Oh, he, he yeah. was. But I remember him, him when we come down and telling the story. The, the reason I thought he wasn't there is because he was asking us so intensely about it. But obviously, he just wanted to know what, yeah. what was it like to be there in that yeah. little half acre where you all were. So we were telling the story and he just looked me in the eye and he said, obviously, didn't have the same dream we had, Teddy. That's right. Do you remember the date? It was the 12th of September. 1993. 1993, yep. Stewie Island's 60th birthday. Oh, was it? There you go. Yeah. We went to the... Chinese restaurant in Bowen Heads. Yes. As you did for special occasions. Yes, you did. All Dad's old footy teammates were there. What was it called? The Golden Retriever? No, it wasn't called that. (laughs) Anyway, um, I said to Mum and Dad, I'm going home. We're going to play in the grand final tomorrow. And Stewie, in his his subtle way, goes, yeah, yeah, you better go home because you've got to get up early because you're kicking the Jew. The reference (laughs) to playing in the seconds, you know. So I went home and, you know, probably went home at 10 o'clock and, couldn't sleep, a bit nervous and that sort of thing. And then by 12 o'clock, everyone else came home and yeah, they're all carrying on and still having a drink and couldn't get to sleep. And I don't reckon I still got to sleep about 4 o'clock or something like that. Didn't have a drink though, but that was that was the grand final. Yeah, great day. Great day for the club. And obviously, the seniors picked up the chocolates the same day. So thanks, Nip. Back to the pilot episode in a minute. But first, Nip and I had a brief conversation about our first guest. How thrilled we are to have him on the show and how much we thoroughly admire him. We've got a really big one planned for our first episode. He's a, he's, he's a bloke that's younger than me and you, but we both look up to him, don't we? I do. I, I've always said, watching this bloke play footy, that he played footy the way I was trying to. <laughs> yeah. That's, what, that's the thing I've always said about him. Like, I, I knew I couldn't play like John O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. knew I couldn't play like what I. But when I played, I was trying to play like this bloke. Straight lines, nothing fancy, just yeah. get it done. And he's an absolute legend. Good kid. Um, when I say kid, he's younger than us, as I say. Yeah. He's a ripper bloke. Uh, absolutely. He's always legend. got a smile on his face. He's a good looking rooster. He is a good looking rooster. <laughs> he actually is. He's a wonderful bloke, and he has made a fabulous contribution to our club. We hope you'll join us to hear his story on the tree on the roof. I remember when the Donnell families moved to Barland Heads in, what was it, 75? Yeah, yeah, Barry and Gwen moved down in the May school holidays and we moved down in September. Yeah, and you lived in the flats next to the Kindergarten and Clifford Parade. Number three, Clifford Parade. That's the one. And there's two families and... As a kid, I'm, you know, like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, there's a new there's a new family in town. I didn't know there was two new families. There was a new family. Their surname's Donnell. And there's 11 kids. Yes. Six from one family, five from the other family. But 11 kids have just moved into town, and five of them are boys. And I'm looking at that going, Wow. Five new footballers. How good's this? And we always struggled for numbers. So, you know, we, we there was probably, you know, in those days you played under 15s and then you played under 18s or under 13s, under 16s. You played two games to make up the numbers. So we probably had 30 junior footballers in the town at that time. So a sixth of that number has just moved into town. Yeah. 
So nowadays, junior footy, they'd have 200 kids, junior footy. Yeah, if you include all the Oz kick and everything. Yeah, all that do. sort of thing. So that would be like 25 kids in the one family just wandering into yeah, town. Right. Yeah. That's that's the impact it was. And yep. it, it, it took me a long time to work out who were brothers and who were sisters and who were cousins and all that sort of thing. And I've got some friends now that also do say... Is that so? Is that Teddy's brother? No, no, that's his cousin, or that's his sister, or that's his yeah, that sort of thing. So, what what brought you to Barn Heads, and when did you first arrive? Well, yeah, my, my first memories of the footy club are a long time before I actually played. We we were campers, and um, and rubbernecks. We were. My father first came down to Barn Heads in the early fifties, um, probably around about the time. That Stewie was playing for Bowen Heads and winning premierships. Certainly, around, certainly 1953, I reckon he first came down, and um, he used to camp with a bunch of mates, some of whom are still around. Stevie Dolphin's father. Mm-hmm. So Steve Dolphin's father was one of Dad's best mates. But Dad, Dad discovered. I think a mate of his discovered Bowen Heads, or claimed he claimed it, and um, Dad came down with him, and then pretty shortly after, he brought Barry down, and Barry. And him just loved the joint. They just loved it. They used to surf up at the 13th in the days when you had to go down Stevens Parade to get there. Mm. There was no road no. around the top. There was a track, but yeah. you couldn't drive a car along it. So big, heavy surfboards. You weren't going all the way up to 13th. So they used to walk through the golf course if you had to walk. So you got to the 13th hole and you went over the sand dune. Hence the name of it. And Dad was cert- absolutely certainly one of the first blokes to call the 13th beach the 13th. You'd say to people, where will we meet you on the beach? Go to the 13th and go yeah. over the dune. And that's where it got its name. So early 50s. And 100 years before, that's probably about the place that uh, you and Bly came over the sand dune. Probably pretty much, yeah. So yeah. Dad's story goes from there. And we were campers. And being in the camp, many many winters we they left the camp up. It was a prefab camp. Bar 56 it was called. It was... Um, site number 56. It was right at the end of Bell Street, straight down the hill from Bell Street. They used to camp there and obviously people like Cliffy Marshman, Dad would remember them all, but they used to work in the campground. Cliffy certainly worked in the campground, um, even though he had the ice works, but he used to get he used to get the rubbish and do a lot of jobs, odd jobs around the camping ground. Some winters they'd leave the camp up and we'd be the only ones in it. And we used to go and obviously being where it is, it's two good drop kicks from the footy ground. So on a Saturday afternoon, being a kid just mucking around around the camp, you'd hear these voices and cars tooting. You'd go up and have a look and there'd be a game of footy on. There was a bar there. So the old man quite often used to take me up there and he knew he knew the players. Now, when you're five, senior football, there's not a big distinction between AFL, or as it was VFL then, and what you're seeing in front of you. They're grown men playing footy. And, you know, then it's not a kid's game anymore. So it's it's something serious. And, you know, the hits were hits and the blokes were big. And for, for when you're five, everyone's huge. Like blokes, you know, I remember blokes like um, Ali Bomb. Lenny Elliott. He was, a, I thought he was a giant. He, he was certainly bigger than my dad. And I thought my dad was a giant. I can tell you, I saw him in 1989 when I was playing football in Queensland. I went up to him and I said, Ali Bomb looked at me and he said, no one's called me Ali Bomb since I left Bowen Heads. And I said, I'm Russell Highland. 
and from Barrelheads, and he held his hand out, and he, David, and I said, no, Russell, and he dropped his hand about a foot. <laughs> I remember you, and like you say, I thought he was the biggest bloke you've ever seen. Yep. When I was 23 years old, he was still the biggest bloke I ever saw. Yeah, I thought, he was a monster. I thought Ali Bomb was a giant until we played Port Arlington. Yep. And, cool. uh, and Frog made him look like a little boy. Yes. But, so so those blokes, um, I, Dad used to take me in the rooms and uh, I would literally sit on the bench swinging my legs, listening to them tell stories while Dad chatted with them because people used to just go, because the rooms were just the rooms. Like you just go in there. There was a roller door at the end of the, yeah. at the, end of the rooms that went into the players' rooms. So they pulled the roller door up and the players would be, once the showers were done, we'd just be in yeah. there having a beer. And um, Dad would buy me a sarsaparilla and, or whoever he was drinking with would buy me a sarsaparilla. So I used to sit there and talk with blokes like Alan Fry and Chucky and um, Johnny Fry and Jeff Fry and all those blokes. Um, Johnny Peck, Jono. Yeah. They, they were all young blokes then. A, you know, a little blonde fella used to walk around. I remember his name was Gordon. Who calls their kid Gordon? Like yeah. he was, you know... He was 10 years older than me, but he was only 15. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's probably a bit older, a bit more than 10 years older than me. But So, you know, I used to be in the rooms with those blokes and um, I used to sit there and watch watch the footy and as a little kid, you, the things you think of, maybe one day one of the blokes won't turn up and they'll come and ask me to play. Yeah, that, that was my first knowledge of the footy club. In fact, I went to... When I was in Melbourne, I went to a school in Melbourne in a Richmond area and one of the teachers, as they used to do, asked everyone at the start of the year, who's your favourite footy team? And, um, and everyone put their hand up. Everyone was Richmond. Like, all the, I was a Collingwood supporter. I still am. Um, it's Collingwood, you know. And who's your favourite player? And they all, because Richmond, they all went round. They're all the Kevins. Kevin Bartlett, Kevin Sheedy, Royce Hart, Francis Burke, Billy Barrett, all those blokes. Dick Clay, they, they were the they were the Richmond yeah, Guns. They yeah. 73, 72, 73, 74, they were, yeah. you know, played in grand finals. So they were just, everybody around there loved them. And they came around to me and they said, who's your favourite player? And I said, Chucky Peace. <laughs> and they said, uh, the teacher said, who's he play for? And I said, Bowen Heads. And they said, what, he doesn't play real football. And I said, what's well, real football? It's, it's Bowen Heads, they're famous. They have a show on the radio every Sunday, and we yeah. listen to it. Yeah. Remember Peter Sheffield used yeah, to have that show? Hill, Peter Sheffield, Terry Rowe. Terry Rowe. Yeah. So, Chucky was my favourite player. And then they asked me, well, who's your favourite player in the in the VFL? And that was Peter McKenna. But you know, Chucky was out, outright my favourite player because I knew him. None of these kids knew their favourite player. They just were blokes they saw on television. Chucky was a bloke I sat with in the rooms with my dad and talked with. Well, we never had a conversation. He just used to ruffle my hair and buy me a drink. But he was someone that I could say good day, Chucky. The other thing about that is that, you know, all those blokes that all said Royce Hart and Kevin Bartlett and all those, they never played with Royce Hart. Not that I know of. Not one of my contemporaries from the time played a game with Royce Hart or Kevin Bartlett or any. I reckon I played 40 games with Chucky. Maybe yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. He played for a long time, he played, didn't he? He did play for a long time. He was an old player when I first started and he kept on going. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, he, he was a famous full forward at Bowen Heads. Yeah. Kicked 100 goals, yep. led the goal kick in, in the 
in the days, sixteen goals in a game in and the in the days when they won all the premierships in the seventies. But I remember playing with him in the eighties. Yeah. And he was non baller. Yeah. You know, he'd run all day. He'd be ruck rover and I'd be rover and we'd run together all day. So that was my first impressions of the footy club. And the other impression that I had of the footy club, and it was one of the things that you know, we lived in Melbourne and we had our I was ten. I turned eleven not long after we turned turned up in Bowen Heads. And one of the things about leaving the place where you're happy and comfortable and going to a place that you know, and I did know some people around the town and that, but I didn't know many people. I was going to go to a new school and it was a, it was a bit of a thing. But the thing that I was really excited about coming to Bowen Heads was that when we got to Bowen Heads, we were going up to play footy. And I, that was a, a real big deal for me to go up and play footy. So we did. We went up and, and played footy and... Um, my first game ever for the Bowen Heads Footy Club was your first game. Yeah. I played at the Newcomb Football Ground. was the first game of the Newcomb Football Club um, at Newcomb. And, um, the dinosaurs, they were called then. They were the dinosaurs, named after an establishment of, of yes. non-sobriety. So that was that was my my first game at, at Bowen Heads. And, and I loved, what number did you wear? I reckon I wore 38 in my first game. And it was a plastic number that was stitched on with that plastic stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't have anything on underneath it. And the next for the next 40 games that I played, I always wore a T-shirt or a singlet. It was long sleeve, yep. certainly a long sleeve. And I reckon on the front of it, it had Bowenheads Ocean Grove Football Club. Oh, yeah. It the was old, an old, old, it was woolen. Yep. I don't reckon the sleeves were the same length. It was, didn't fit me. It was probably a bit big. I was only 11 and we were playing under 13s. I probably was about my right age yeah. and I couldn't play. I, I just thought I was going to be a great player and they put me in a back pocket and I, I got a few kicks, but I just realised this is, I'm going to have to learn this. I Who's, used to play in a schoolyard. Who was it full back? It was Ronnie Armstrong. Oh, boxed. Yeah. <laughs> It was. Right. Good he was a good player. He was a good player. We had some really good players. Yeah, we just, just couldn't have win a good, games. We just couldn't play together, yeah. and we couldn't get them all on the park on the same day, really, because yeah. we, you know, we'd often Armstrong. Yeah, old Ronnie Armstrong. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it from the yeah. time that I got there. I loved the game. I loved the place. The people that were around the place. I was in awe of some of the people that were around the place. We spoke earlier about the players. And um, and I certainly was in awe of those of those senior blokes, but I was more in awe of them once I got to play footy with them rather than being in awe of them as a junior. Yeah. Um, but I certainly was in awe of them. Um, but the people that I that used to, I thought were the wonderful people around the footy club were people people like Bill Antonio, who I think oh, was president yeah. at the time. Um, Freddie Wilmore. Yeah, Freddie, Billy, they were both yeah, presidents, yeah, weren't they? Yeah. Well, Freddie was the secretary, I reckon, in yeah. those days. Uh, who else? Cyril Watson, mm. uh, Bonnie, yeah. D- Donnie. Donnie Cameron. Donnie Cameron, yeah. Bonnie. Yeah. Tony Arkell. Yeah. I'll... So all those people, those fam- those people who, and if you look up on the board, a lot of those names are up on the board. Yeah. Famous, famous people that yeah. were around the footy club in their day. Desi Russell Sr., Yes, Vern Fry. Vern Fry, yep. And Vern Fry was—I mean, he had three boys playing in the seniors. You know, yeah. he, he was—he—he he was a doyen, wasn't he? But yeah. I mean, Vern was pretty instrumental in setting up 
the Ballerine Football League. So um, yeah, so those blokes, those people were were quite famous around the footy club. Johnny Druce was our under seventeens coach. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of boys, and I don't reckon we made it through one of the seasons that that we had in those days. But the Lewises might have moved away. Yeah, that brings and, you about know, it. As significant as the as the Donnells moving to town was, the Lewis's moving out of town yeah. was also significant. They only went to Geelong, but it was still significant. This show's called The Tree on the Wing, and one of my early memories of being at Bowen Heads as a footballer, we spoke about earlier, you go and have a, have a play up the bluff or go up to the top oval and kick the footy because you couldn't kick the footy on the, on the oval because there was a game going on there. So you go up the top oval yep. and kick it. Then you'd go sit up in the tree, just yeah. climb up in the tree, and it, and it was it was significant that we climbed up in the tree because they took certain measures to stop it happening yeah. by putting um, barbed wire around the branches and stuff yeah. so that kids wouldn't that, climb it. That, I thought that made it easier. Yeah, it did. As long as you, you could grab put your hands where the barbs aren't, you could grab all the like a train ladder type of thing. But and being up in that tree many many times and. Uh, and sitting there just just shooting the breeze, watching the footy, yeah. you couldn't, you probably couldn't see half the game, but it was the highest point. Other than we all also used to get up on the roof of the, the old club rooms. Yeah, you'd have that, to be quiet though, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you had to be because if they heard you walking across there, that when Cyril Watson would raise himself up to his full full four foot three, and <laughs> and scream at you to get down off the get roof, off that roof or yeah. old Belcher. But yeah. yeah, so up in the tree, many, many, many times, mucking around, just, just shooting the breeze and, and falling then, out of and the then tree, wondering where, wondering where Daryl had gone. Daryl's yeah. fallen out of the tree. I reckon in one game he fell out of the tree twice, and ended up on the playing surface at least once. Probably being up there with with uh, with Bevan Marshman, who <laughs> the tree was the tree had a few few nuts in it so Bevan decided that they didn't need to be in the tree anymore they needed to be hurled at the reserve probably a reserves game we were watching at the opposition he had a good arm Bevan and he hit more mm. than he missed he, yeah. he did hit a couple of blokes in the back of the ear out on the out on the oval with with a with a, the odd throw yeah I remember a bloke by the name of Colin Arclay he either took a mark or got a free kick and he was sort of, I could just see him from where I was sitting, I had just seen him. And he went back to take his kick and I couldn't see him anymore because he was sort of under a branch, close to the boundary line, pretty much where that scoreboard is now that George Wilson runs. I watched and I thought, where's he gone? And then I just just heard this thump and looked and I could just see his boot done this massive barrel and it went through for a goal. From under the tree. From under the tree. Wow. Never seen it. It's a you know, good look, launch. Yeah, to the bluff end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen some big kicks on that ground. That'd have to be one of the biggest. Never seen anything like that from out there. You know. No, it's a significant. It's a significant piece of of the club's history. It's probably been there for most of the time that the club's existed. Even though it probably isn't old enough to have been there when the club first started. It's certainly old enough to, to, to have a link to almost everybody that's ever been involved at the footy well, club. I might stand corrected here, but I think the cypress trees were planted after World War One, And Bowenheads was famous for Hitchcock Avenue being yeah. lined with cypress trees. So potentially those trees 
could have been planted after World War One, when all means, the other when which, all the other ones were. Yeah, which, which means, means that, that it's been there the entire yeah. time. Yeah, um, you're probably right. It's something that's quite it, iconic to the football. So the movie. idea is that the stories that the tree could tell, yeah, if only it could talk. Well, what what we're doing is finding the people who can tell the stories, and, yeah. and they'll tell the stories from the tree. Yeah. So that's 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 the uh, that's where the dreaming comes from. That's what that's what it's about. That's what our show's about. That's what we're trying to. So we went on. I, I played my first senior game under Terry Walsh. Uh, played in a game at Winchelsea. My first senior game. Probably only had a couple of touches. I wasn't as lucky as you to kick a goal. Although I I did play start off in the forward pocket. I didn't get on until after half time. It was in the early days of interchange, and Walsh he sort of hadn't quite got the craze yet. So he certainly wasn't into rotations, if that's a question that anyone had for about Chock. He's a great man, Chocky, but um, but he had a certain way of coaching, and it wasn't it wasn't certainly compared to today's way. It was wasn't even new wave in its day. But Chocky put me on, and I think at the point where I got onto the ground, a bloke called Phil Stevenson. Mm. The, the late, great Phil Stevenson had, I think he had eight. And it's halfway through the third quarter or partway through the third quarter. And I ran onto the ground and I went down to a forward pocket and Steve-O saw me coming. He walked over and he patted me on the back and he said, he said, is this the first time you've been out here? Because, you know, I could have gone, had a run in a back pocket. Yeah. He wouldn't know. I said, yes, it is. And he said, well, welcome to senior footy, mate. Now stand over there and don't get him away. I've <laughs> kicked eight and I'm after, I'm after 10. And I said, no worries. Anyway, he, I thought, well, I will stay out of his way. Oh, not very long afterwards. And uh, your story of, of Jono setting you up is, is similar to my story. The ball came out of the centre and I all I did was lead to take my man to the pocket, to leave space behind me for Steve-O to lead into. Because he was, he was a fairly one-dimensional, Steve-O, he was it's fair big, to say. Yeah. If he did miss it, it took a long time for him to turn around. Yes, but he had a fairly yeah. slow turning circle. The ball came off a wing and it ended up in Jono's hand and I I just led. I just ran to to a forward pocket. Jono, there was eye contact. Jono's, and Jono's, Jono being Jono, he's thought... Did he, first, did he smile as well? He had a big grin on his face. He, Absolutely. He and you yep. knew... If you led... And Jono had the footy in his hand, and he didn't have a smile on his face. He wasn't going to kick it at you. No, no. So he had this big grin on his face. This is the first time I've played footy with Jono, so I don't know this shit, but I learned it. Yeah. Yeah, Jono, uh, big smile, good eye contact, and he he kicks it straight down my throat. And I'm thinking, don't muck this up. Make it a chest mark. Yep. Right? And a fist came in under the armpit. Oh. Lesson number one for... A, for a player, in senior footy, you can't take that chest mark because that arm's coming through. Yep. Got knocked away. I think it went out of bounds. We got the footy. Watto kicks a goal from the out of bounds. The ball goes back to the centre and Steve-O comes up to me and he says, good lead, well done, good good work. You, you took a man out. And then he turns around to John O. He fizzed at him. This is... <laughs> One of the greatest players that's ever played. How many league, league best and fairest? Two league best and fairest. Yes. One of the greatest players that's ever played the game. And Steve-O, who was a good ordinary player, but he was a good player. 
Um, he but, wasn't. He wasn't always a regular senior player. No, right, he wasn't. Steve-o? No, he wasn't. No. And he, but he was this day. And <laughs> and uh, anyway, Steve-O ended up kicking eleven. So, and I didn't. I I ended up on a wing. Uh, I got taken up onto the wing, and pretty much like yourself, Kenny Mack again involved in getting me in the play. And I remember getting on a on the end of a couple of Kenny Mack handballs to get to get a few kicks away off a wing and kick the ball down into the forward line and. Probably didn't play again for a couple of years. Senior footy, um, they were a pretty strong team, and you know that was, oh, you know, there was all, there was a few blokes out that day, and Winch weren't that strong. In fact, I think Winch ended up out of the comp fairly shortly after that. So yeah, I, that was that was my my, and I played a lot of lot of seconds footy. Unlike yourself, I did play. I played I played two hundred senior games, and I probably. I reckon I played 130 senior firsts games. Yeah. I played 89 junior games. I played. I don't know how you got to play 100. I played two games of footy for about six years. Yeah, I played two games a lot, but I was playing under 17 or 18, whatever it was, when I was in grade six as an 11 year old. So Just of my 89 junior games, two yeah. victories. Two. Two. One against Ocean Grove. Yeah. First, first, first one time we ever won a game. Yeah. Against Ocean Grove, and we had everyone like the Jimmy offers, the yeah. Mark offers, all those blokes. A kid, a bloke called Chris Mulden, who played senior yeah, footy. Yeah, he could play. There was a couple of other blokes who who turned up. That, George Livadatis. Yes, I do remember George. Actually, he might have played. He might have played that day. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon uh, also Damien Wilkinson. Um, so yeah, that, and that we we uh, Ocean Grove we beat Ocean Grove in, and then two weeks later we beat Queenscliff at Barwon Heads. So and that was in about round five. Oh, so right. in round five, coming coming up to round six of of the Ballerine uh, under seventeen football season, Barwon Heads have won two games and lost three, and uh, yeah, didn't win another junior game. Uh, Played a lot of played a, a lot of uh, seconds games and where we won it we won quite a few seconds games we had a, probably the year the Jeff Miller was the coach that year we had uh, quite a few uh, close games where we won a few um, but then yeah things fell away after pretty much after Chockey left and but I, I I just wanted to play as much senior footy as I could yeah and I didn't mind playing seconds seconds was was a lot of fun. Yep. But you know, when you when I got into the seniors, it was made uh, pretty clear. You know, you had to play at a certain level, and you know, I, I, I don't know if I was always up, always up to it. And then Higo came, and yeah. uh, the rest is history. Just a short break from the show to let you know that the tree on the wing will also invite the club sponsors to put their product before the listeners. Here's an example from Rodpack. Hi, I'm Dean Roderick. At Rodpack, you'll see three fundamentals at play in delivering superior results for our clients. The latest in pallet technology, quality, consistency, and capacity of the outcome. Quality materials, the right nails and timber do make a difference. And finally, and most importantly, highly experienced and capable people committed to delivering customer quality. Without these three elements, your product would be mediocre at best. Enjoy our website, and whatever your need or inquiry, Talk to us today, and thanks for taking a few seconds to experience our manufacturing facilities. Now it's back to the show. 
I remember the first year he go, the second year he go coached. Um, we didn't have a seconds coach. So 1992, uh, Mick Turner grabbed me one night after training and said, I need to have a talk to you. And, he, and I said to him, yeah, no worries. He pulled me aside and he said, uh, who's with? It been Brian. Him and Brian um, said, and, and he go, and said, we haven't got a seconds coach. And we need someone who's, who's going to play mostly in the seconds to coach the seconds. What did you say? I can't think of anyone. Well, I thought they were going. I actually thought they were going to ask me who who yeah. have you got in mind. Have you got anyone in mind? Yeah. Think think about it. You know. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, and then Turk said to me, "We're thinking it'll be you. Would you would you consider it?" And I said, "Oh, mate, geez, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to put a bit of thought. Oh, geez, I've never even. Ever now, have any aspirations of coaching? I had. Yeah. I'd always had. I was one of those blokes who used to listen to the coach before the. And it was just a, always a rave. Yeah. But I loved... I can still think of things that Alan Fry said as, as a seconds coach. I can still think of things that Mitch said as a junior coach. And it was always a rave. And and I, I'm... Look, I, I think I'm probably known for having given a rave. I remember Brian always teases me that we, that I, I tore strips off the boys one day at half time. He'd arrived at half time and he'd come into the rooms to hear me tearing strips off the group and he walked... Walked out of the rooms and looked up at the scoreboard, and we were 105 points up. <laughs> that's well, I don't, not, I don't that's not actually true. I must have been someone that didn't listen to the coach, but I don't remember a lot of comments from coaches that I had, other than probably the five or six games I played under you when you coached. I remember coming out with, Come on, you blokes, lift, you're as flat as a shit carter's hat. And that's I, one of the old man's. Yeah, and I remember. Day you gave the job, the tagging role, to Tim Goddard, and you said to Tim, "Tim, I want you to stick by him all day. If he goes off and he's on the bench, you come off and you're on the bench. If he goes to the shit house, I want you to go to the shit house and wipe his bum. I don't want you to go anywhere without him." I got that from listening to Crackers Keenan talking about uh, Mick Gafer. Mick Mick Gafer played on Kieran Spawn and. And uh, Crackers said, when Kieran Spawn gets out of the shower, Mick Gafer's going to hand him his towel. <laughs> I did have aspirations of it, but I didn't think I'd ever get the opportunity. And um, it was dropped in my lap, pretty much. So I, I did have to think about it. I, it wasn't, I didn't just say yes. Um, so that was on a, I reckon it was Tuesday night. It was, it was a few weeks before, before the season started. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, on the Thursday night, I went and said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do it. Because I'd missed, the year before, I had osteitis pubis, and I, I was a regular senior player by then, and I'd made my way in through the 88, 89, 90 seasons. I'd played mostly, I don't think I'd played a seconds game yep. through any of that yeah. time. And then Mick Higgins came, and I, got, I had osteitis pubis. I missed the first three games, um, and probably would have been in the seniors in those games, and I missed the first three games, and and didn't play at all, and we won them. Yep. And we won, and mind you, we hadn't won many games for the five no, years before that, no. and we beat Leopold. I reckon they were big scalps too. I remember yeah, that Leopold, Anglesey, and I reckon it was Torquay, Torquay or Drysdale. Yeah, was, it was one of the big ones. One of those. Yeah. Yep. And then we got injuries, 
and I, I got over my osteitis. I played a couple of seconds game. Certain the, the Leopold game, which is probably the third game that we played, I reckon I played in that game. Yeah. And um, because we won that game by a couple of points, and I took a couple of big marks in the last couple of minutes to save goals. You didn't punch. No, I didn't. I, I knocked one through for a behind, but I marked. An, you were a famous for that, Teddy. I Coming was... over the top of the back, not just one fist, but two. I think I need to set that record straight here, Russell. I reckon I did that three times. I did it famously once because I did it in front of the grandstand at Bowen Heads and I hit this pack thinking I had no I had no right to expect to mark this football. I've just got to knock it out of bounds. And um, when I hit the pack, they lifted me up above them, but I'd already made the decision that I was going to punch. And I had both hands... Clench, because I thought the only way I can punch this ball is with both hands, because I'm that far out of the contest. If I don't hit the ball, at least I can hit a few heads or something. And ended up on top of the pack, could have taken the mark of the century and punched it 35 metres out of bounds. So I got known for it. I'm a bit like the bloke who uh, put all the masts on the boats and he said, but I only did that one thing to one goat once. Yes. (laughs) Labelled for life. Yes. So yeah, I played those played senior footy the rest of that year, but then I sort of got eased out pretty much. The the first year I coached, remember Mick Turner saying to me, "We'll give you a senior playing fee for playing seconds. So whatever the seniors, which was forty bucks, yeah. I reckon, forty dollars for a win, yep, and nothing for a loss. Nah. But her, but for me, it was forty dollars win or lose for for coaching the seconds. And then I remember one week. It, at selection, getting picked in the seniors when I I'd played seconds. I'd played a couple of really cracking games in the seconds, and I reckon someone someone had done a fetlock and wasn't able to play in a back pocket or something, and they put they'd put me up into the seniors. And Mick Turner saying, "I love it when you play seniors, Teddy." And I said, "Why is that?" He said, "Because you save us forty dollars." <laughs> he said, oh. "In fact, you save us eighty dollars." Yeah. I said. Why is that? And he said, if we, if we win, I only have to pay you once. But yes. if we if if we won a senior game and you weren't playing in it, I've got to pay another player $40 yeah. and, and you. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, they were pretty smart then too, the Turk. Um, you, you get your 40 bucks cash in an envelope at a home game. On the Saturday night. On the Saturday night. Because yeah. I ran the band in those gone by 8 o'clock. I ran the band All over the bar. Every, all my 40 bucks I got, straight over the bar. I'd buy drinks for me, I'd buy drinks for me mates, I'd buy drinks for the seconds players. Yep. And then I'd wake up in the morning, I wouldn't have a cracker to me name, yep. and I'd probably owe someone 20. Nick used to say to me, Teddy, we need to have a band on Saturday night. Why is that? Well, we've just had two away games and a home game. <laughs> so everybody, everybody... He's going to have hundred and twenty dollars in yep. their pocket. Yep. That's just that's just the run of the mill players. The contracted <laughs> players will have a lot more than that. Yeah. We need a band. So we it was no surprise that we'd have cool change or someone down there yeah. on those Saturday nights when the blokes had the most money. Johnny yeah. Star. He, he used to said, play a bit, yeah, didn't he? He, he did. was good. He was fantastic. We got to get him on. Yeah, we'd set certainly Johnny Star's on our thing. We'll we'll, it, we'll have a bit of theme music at the start of the show. You would have heard. Heard a, a theme song that, that we have selected, but I reckon we'll get jo- 
Johnny Starr wrote a very famous song. He did. Many years ago about the Bowen Heads Footy Club. Do you remember I'd, it? I'd like it go. It's the Bowen Heads Footy Club, just down by the pub. Watch out for the seagulls on your way. Bowen Heads Footy Club. Bring your kids and, and your dog. dog. Charlie's, Charlie's on, on the, the gate. gate. He'll make you pay. I we reckon, might have to change that to Nanette's on the gate. I reckon. It's still current. I reckon. Bowen Heads Footy Club down the road, just past the pub. Come and watch the mighty seagulls play. Oh, yeah. I reckon that's Something what it like was, that. yeah. Anyway, it was terrific. So that hopefully that sort of fills people in about what Nipper and I are about. The show itself, uh, we're hoping to get people from the past, the present, and maybe even we'll get some the from the future. We look at look at yeah. some of the kids that are around the place. We've got some fairly bright young kids, especially especially the women, the girls footballers. Yeah. yeah. They're going to there's, have two teams this year, yes, I've heard. There's, a, there's an absolute plethora of people that we can bring, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, as we said earlier about the tree on the wing, tell the story yeah. that the tree on the wing would have told if it could talk. Yeah. And that's what that's what the idea of the show is. We'll obviously be chasing the support of some sponsors yep. for the show. Um, they may already, and probably hopefully are, already are sponsors of the footy club. Um, if they've got any audio that they'd like to put into it, we're happy to read it. They can get people to read it. They, if they've got their own ads, we're happy to play them within the show. Cash um, or goods are readily accepted. Any, yeah. any establishment like the Bowenheads Hotel, Dan Murphy's, Liquor King, any of those sort of things, that'd yeah. be fantastic. The Liquor King. Liquor King. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> So yeah, so that's that's the idea of the show. We we hope that the people who are listening to this will get on board with us and give us a go. I'm not really sure yet how we're going to present it to fans of the footy club. Certainly in our in our infancy, we we intend to aim it at the younger crew because they're the, probably the crew that are more tuned into that sort of stuff. Tech savvy and all that. Tech savvy, and we'll get those young people in. So anyway, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you've enjoyed our first episode into it. It, it, it hasn't bored anyone. Um, it's just us introducing ourselves and introducing the concept of the, of the show. So thanks very much, Nipper, for hosting it, providing the refreshments during the show. Yeah. And we hope that there'll be an episode two. Thanks, everyone. Cheerio. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> That's... That stays in. <laughs>